I thought it rather appropriate, without searching for a text for Father's Day, that in our series in studying Ephesians, this is the text we come to today. So I didn't have to search for a Father's Day message. I didn't have to do any of the little things that you might want to do to make sure that you speak on Father's. Something remarkable happened this past week. And um, my wife called me. She doesn't know anything about this. I thought I wanted to be a surprise to her because I wanted to show how God works. My wife called me Thursday morning, Friday morning, on her way to work. And she said, I just got in and I just, I was listening to Focus on the Family. And she said, you know, on Father's Day, we tend to really beat fathers over the heads. You know, we say what they didn't do, what they're supposed to do. And there's a sense in which that is not only true, but it is right. Because God puts a great deal on fathers. And so she said, I was listening to Focus on the Family and I wonder if, if what I'm listening to about fathers, I don't want to tell you what to preach on. She knows it wouldn't work anyway. Not because I'm stubborn, but because I go by the text. I, I never just choose something to say, I want to speak on this. She said, I wonder if you could, you know, encourage fathers. And so I listened and I almost burst out laughing. Not because I didn't agree with her, but because that's what I want. That's what I had actually done. So long before she called me, I dealt with this idea that she had concerning fathers. So the, 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 the desires of her heart and the words of my mouth come together today to speak to fathers. Now you couldn't ask for anything better than that. But I thought, how wonderful how God works. Because as I was studying on Thursday morning, my heart really desired that, God, I might say something from your word, or you may say something through me, that will, will enhance the image of fathers. That I will say something that will give fathers an encouragement so that they will say, that's what I want to be. That's what I desire. That's what I want to see God for. Several hundred years ago, William Aikman wrote this. Civilization varies with family. And the family with civilization. Its highest and most complete realization is found where enlightened Christianity prevails where the woman is exalted to her true and lofty place as equal with her husband, where husbands and wives are one in honor, influence, and affection, and where children are a common bond of care and love. This is the idea of a perfect family. William Aikman wrote that in the 1800s, how different from the world in which we're living today. 
I was in the store where I go to buy my stuff, Safeway. And I almost always keep my head straight ahead because when you look at some of those tabloids that's there, it's frustrating and debilitating. And you know, as I stood there, I looked at a couple headlines. And I thought, what, what a world to live in. The state of marriage and being parents in the present world is in a sorry state. And I do not want to spend my time saying what's wrong with Hollywood, what's wrong with the civilization, what's wrong with the culture, and not say what God says to it. And that's why I call your attention to the passage that was read by Ellie as we go through this looking into God's word to see fathers in action. We have been studying for several weeks God's voice to the wife and God's voice to the husband. And we, had, we started this, not a series, the study of this text. We looked at the essence of marriage. How God looks on it, how God has designed it. And God spoke to the wife and to the husband. And he tells us what marriage is all about. And he moves, if you please, and remember that the chapters and the verses are not inspired. They have been, they came to us to help us as the English reader to read the text. So we want to be careful with that. But he's moving now from the instruction to, from marriage to the instruction to the family. And, and as I sat meditating and, and looking at this, I thought, how amazing. He, he didn't start by addressing parents, so to speak. He started by addressing children. He moves with ease. Children, obey your parents. And by the way, parents are fathers and mothers. Nothing else. And he begins by saying that fathers are to be recognized. Fathers are not to be like, like spots on a wall. They're not, they're not to be there as a, a person non grata. Fathers are to be recognized by their children. And it's interesting because when he says children obey, he is calling attention to the children to recognize the existence and the presence of a father. Now it's interesting that this word for children, the word that is used there, speaks to children who are under the care of parents, the father and the mother. We shall see this in a few minutes. But what he's saying to them, recognize, recognize that you have been brought into this position of a child because of God's design for the development of the family. You, there couldn't be a family if you did not come into the world. 
And you couldn't be a family if God didn't design the family this way. So when he said children, he's talking to the child, the, the, the young child, able to understand that they came into the world not by a stork. That they came into the world not so much as someone left them at the entrance of a door. They came into the world because by God's design, He fashioned the way by which a family is to be established. A father and a mother. And in the process of time, He brings into existence the mystery of birth. And you are the extension of God's mystery. Because children, you were brought into the world to recognize the design of God. In other words, I want to say, parents are not God's mistake. A young girl was having problems with her mother. And she looked into her mother's face and said, I didn't ask you to be born, you know. And she said, I know. Chances are if you did, the answer would have been no. You see, God did not design the family for conflict. God designed the family so that righteous seeds might be established on the face of the earth. So that when our children come to the place where it moves from obey to honor, the dignity and the fame of God goes with those children so that they take with them wherever God leads them because they have come from a righteous seed that is by faith in Jesus Christ. They are children who actually have a sense of purpose in the world because they realize that mom and dad did not simply come together to bring offsprings into the world. They came together to spread righteousness by them. Children. God speaks to you as a part of the divine plan. Listen to Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are an heritage from the Lord. Friends, I can't explain all of that. I can't explain why children are born deformed. I have no answer for that, except I can give you a theological one. But this much I know, that however, whatever the experience you may have had in your homes, God has a plan for you. Mom may have failed, dad may have failed, but that does not put you in a place where you can become just an open rebel because of what your history may have been. God still speaks to you. Listen to what he says. Children obey. The word obey is a very remarkable word. Because I'll tell you what, literally what it means. To listen under. To listen under. So that your parents are over you and you listen under them. They become, if you please, a cushion for you. Because you're going to experience things in your life that your parents know how and why... Your parents are able to tell you they have been there. You haven't 
I know where the mines are. You know, when Lois and I were in Israel, we went to the Golan Heights, and they gave us a path to walk. And they said, do not go outside of that path, because there might still be buried mines in some of those places. So if you walk there, you could be in trouble. So walk where we are telling you. That's what we were listening under. They were telling us what was good for us. And what was remarkable to me, Proverbs 6.20 says this. Parents, children, listen to your father and mother. Listen to your father and mother. God's design is for fathers and mothers to have something to say to their children and for children to obey. So to this point, God is speaking to the parents. God is speaking to the children. And then there comes the time when when those children grow into adulthood and the responsibility goes on. Because even before God said anything else about anything else, he says, children, honor your parents. Honor your parents. And you know how he puts it? Honor your mother and father. God placed that in his declaration to civilization. Right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, he honors, I call children, to honor their parents. What does it mean to honor? If obey is to listen under, to honor is to, is to maintain highest respect and esteem and value. Now friends, I know that it is possible that some of you cannot do that. But this much I will say this morning, because I share some of the experiences you have shared. And I've made it one of my, I I think I mentioned before, in my early Christian life, I used to talk about the failures of my father. Because he, he drank himself to death. My father was only 32 years old when he died. And he, had, he left me no memory that I would like to pass on to my son. So I know that it is possible to have been failed by a father. But we shall see, my friends, that even under these circumstances, God is sovereign. And he's able to bring out of those failures success in your life as a follower of Christ. So I have learned to honor my father. I respect the office that God has given to him. Even though I didn't know him that well, because of his drinking, my father and mother separated early in their marriage. And he died at 32. I was 11 years old when he died. And, and there's some sense in me as I talk about that, that I feel very sorry for my father Because there is no one to tell him what I'm able to tell you this morning. So children are called to recognize fathers as a part of God's divine plan. Parents are God's representative to raise their children. 
obedience, honor. That, that, that there's never a time when God gives me the freedom to think ill of my father. If anything, now I, I'm a child of God, I think of forgiveness from my father rather than being anything but angry because I will be the only loser in those cases. Children. But I want you to see that fathers are also recognized by God. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says this, Honor your father. Who is speaking? God is speaking. Honor your mother. God is speaking. And look, God wanted to make sure, if you please, if I may use such a term, God wanted to make sure that you understand how important this is to the divine plan that in order to encourage you to honor your parents, to obey your parents, he gave a promise along with it. You know, even the non-Christian world recognizes this. It does not depend upon any special revelation. It is part of the natural, national, natural law which God has written on the human hearts. It is not confined to Christian ethics. It is standard behavior in every society. Pagan society, moralistic society, Greek society, Roman society taught it. Stoic philosophers saw a son's obedience as self-evident, plainly required by reason and as part of the nature of things. Much earlier, in the Oriental culture, one of the greatest emphases of Confucius was the filial respect so that still today, through centuries later, Chinese, Koreans, Japanese customs continue to reflect his influence. And what is that influence? That children are to respect the parents. Purely pagan, purely natural. And if, 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 a, if a natural paganistic society, a society that doesn't know God, where does this idea that one is to respect comes from? We're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. So, there you go. God recognizes fathers. When, when the hearts of children are broken... By the failure of fathers, Psalm 65, 68 verse 5 says, I will be a father to the fatherless. The absentee father is replaced by the presence of a heavenly father. When Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, the first thing he said to them, when you go on your knees before to pray, begin by getting the right image of God in your minds, that God is your Father. Your Father. The particulars of a father are seen now in what his responsibilities are. What are the responsibilities of Father? Do you, do you see the transition? He begins by addressing the children through the parents. And now he's going to, 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 to give the order of the family. And he points not to the mother, not to the children, but to the father. The warning he gives. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Authority does not mean abuse. Authority does not mean despotism. Authority means responsibility and service. So, what does it mean? It means that a father in communicating with his children must do so even though they might, they might get angry, but you do not meet their anger with your anger. A father does not, does not provoke to incite negative feelings. See, not only what I might do now, but if I provoke my children to anger now, I might awaken other areas that I might have to answer for later on. It's not only the present one, but what I might awaken. And so God is speaking to fathers because fathers tend to be the ones who are harsh. Fathers tend to be the ones who speaks with fiat. That means authority. Unquestioned authority. Father. I heard one comedian says the difference between fathers and mothers is that when a father speaks, he blasts out what he wants to say. When a mother speaks, she loses her memory. She says, do you know who I am? My mother used to say, do you think I was born yesterday? I, 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 well, I wanted to answer that, but I wouldn't be speaking to you this morning. I am glad that God, believe me, I am glad that God placed me in a broken family. I really am. Now, that is. Because I wouldn't want to be born in the family of Jordan Benedict. Jordan Benedict was a, was a if, I don't know if he's still alive, but he's a Texas billionaire. He owns... Two and a half million acres of land in Texas. Where else? He has a son by the name of Jordy. Age three. And Mr. Benedict's passion for his son is that his son would become a horse rider. To ride horses. Can you imagine me being his son? He's furious because this infant three year old boy does not like horses. When set on one of them in full cowboy regalia, he cries to be taken down. His father is disgusted. I rode. He said, before I could walk, he says, all right, that was very cute, says his wife, but he doesn't like horses. This is another person. Maybe he doesn't. Benedict retorted, I am going to make a horseman out of him if I have to tie him to it. Talk about provoking to anger. You've been playing God so long you think you can run the world. 
I run the part that's mine. Wow. He is not yours. He is yours and mine. <laughs> and not even ours. He is himself. <laughs> when God says to fathers, I'm going to give you the privilege of becoming an agent of mine to your children. Fathers do not have absolute authority. They have authority that has been assigned to them. It means that there's a certain way that fathers are supposed to do their work, and one of them is to, is to be so in tune with his heavenly father so that when he communicates, correct, whatever he has to, done, uh, to do, that child has the sense that the best of intentions are behind what dad is saying. I may disagree with him. But he knows what he's saying. So we do not treat our children in a way that incites anger or resentment in them. I know that this is not the end of the story, friends, but this is what God says. Don't incite them to wrath, to anger. That's the warning to fathers. But now look at the work of fathers. But bring them up in the nurture or discipline and instruction of the Lord. <laughs> there are steps given in which God says, these are the things you should do in actually caring for your children, fathers. This is the father's responsibility. Look at it. First, he begins by their attitude. Their attitude. Bring them up. Bring them up. In, in, in the Greek... The phrase, bring them up, the same word is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, where it says, husbands are to nourish their wives. In other words, fathers are to be tender and sensitive in attitude when rearing their children. Fathers are to bring them up with a submissive will, but a healthy spirit. It is possible, it is possible to destroy their spirits, that's in, to make them anger, angry, because of trying to submit their will. And the father's call is to be in control when he wants to control his children. To lead them to embrace the will of God. Bring them up so that that all that they experience in the home will be something that they welcome for their own lives, for their own home. This is the way they are to be brought up. The attitude that a father has in bringing up his children is to nourish them, to treat them with an understanding heart, to treat them with tenderness, I say this, friends, and I'm almost reluctant to say it as you can tell. But too often, when our children are irritated by what we do, it is not simply because of what we did, but how we did it. 
how we did it. I'm gonna, you're going to learn to ride that horse if I have to tie you on it. What a tragedy. Because in the ultimate sense, if children are given to us to spread righteousness in the earth, ultimately our children are not ours. We're stewards. And so the attitude of a father... Listen to, listen to what Psalm 103 says. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities us. Huh. I used to tell the story, and I, I don't engage in it anymore, but for this moment. I remember... I remember going home one day from school and, and I had my paper. We had arithmetic that, that day and, and I got all 10 correct. I was excited. And I was running home to tell my mom, didn't know that my father was visiting with my mom at that time. And I was running home and I showed mom. And she was excited. And she took it and showed my father. And my father said, why are your letters so big? And friends, I say this to warn other children. My father at that, not my father, at that time, I developed a distaste for my father that when he died, I looked at him in the coffin and couldn't care less. I was only 11 years old. Attitude. Sometimes you've got to be crucified for your children's behavior. You've got to die in their place because Christ died in your place. But look at the action of a father, secondly. You are to discipline them. Oh, by the way, I think I was telling the group about this. A new study has just come out that spanking may cause mental sickness for your children. So I said to them, now I know what's wrong with me because my mom did not spare the rod. <laughs> discipline. What does it mean to discipline? Listen, friends. The word to nurture or to discipline includes correction and chastening so that the father will learn how to speak and the father will learn how to spank. Now you can talk to me afterwards if you disagree with that and I'll show you the text. I didn't say beat, I said spank. To correct and you will see how fathers do this in a minute. The child is not at the stage where it is possible to communicate. Paul in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.11 says, I was with a father instructing discipline. And you know how Paul treated the Thessalonian church, even the Corinthian church for that matter. He is not, he is, the father is not out of control in his action. 
He's ministering. He is correcting. So, did I remember the, the first time I spanked Heather, our daughter? Which has, was my practice. As I spanked her, after I was finished, I put her on my knees. And I said, now do you know why daddy had to spank you? Do you know what you did? Yes, daddy. Are you going to do it again? No, daddy. Daddy, can I ask you a question? Yes. Do I still get my allowance? I mean, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but you know, I look back. And she's saying, if you love me, you will care for me. Heather understood that dad's discipline, dad's correction was not because I hated her. It was because I couldn't speak to her to understand. And, and now, oh, now she's a mother. And I tell you, I have fun. <laughs> oh, we, we go there, you know, and... and and we visit with the kids. <laughs> One day she came to me. She said, Dad, they fight all the time. What can I do? I said, you should have taken a page from your mother's book. We had you 15 years apart. <laughs> she said, Dad, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm so happy to see them coming around now, I tell you. It's, it's quite an amazing thing. But please listen, friends. There might be the attitude of the Father. There might be the actions of the Father. But the second, third part is the agony of a Father. The agony of a Father. The word instruction or admonition is addressed to the behavior and conduct that is out of control. By this time, you can't spank them anymore. You've got to communicate with them. You speak with them. And you try to tell them. The father speaks with the mother's support. There's no conflict as to how we, we have to deal with this. And so, here's the path we have chosen. We're going we're, we're gonna to deal with this as, as parents. So Samson comes home one day, and Samson said to his mom and dad, I found a girl, she's not a Christian, but I really like this girl, and I want you to get her for me. And you look in, in, in Judges 14, 1 to 3, the father and the mother says to him, son, see, it was not simply the father, he took the initiative, but the mother's support was there, so both of them Spoke. They saw this boy going out of control and to admonish. See, when a child's desire is the child's desire, and when the father's desire is God's desire, there will be a conflict. And when that conflict comes, the father loves his daughter or his son, but he also loves God. And he wants to make sure that he does not disappoint God with the responsibilities that God has given to him, but he also wants to, to care for his little girl or for his little boy. And friends, I'm going to tell you, what a father who, who is under God is conscious that his child or children are going in the wrong direction. That father goes into his 
closet or ought to go into his closet and fall on his face and cry to God, Oh God, my son. Oh God, my daughter. That's the agony of a father. So children, what I'm saying to you, there are times when your father corrects you, but he corrects you not only for your good, he corrects you in obedience to God. And when a father corrects you in obedience to God, it is an agonizing thing. Agonizing. He feels the conflicts of two worlds, if you please, three worlds. The world of God, the world of his childhood children, and his world. And those worlds must be brought under the authority of God. And so, the father's pain in exercising his authority is one of tremendous, tremendous agony. Agony. Don't despise them. If you are here this morning and you don't have any good memories of your father, forgive him. But if you're here and you have good memories of your father and you're able to thank him, say thanks to him. And if you can't, give thanks to the one who says, I will be a father to the fatherless. Lastly, the authority of fathers. Look at the text again. Everything comes down to this. The Lord. In the Lord. To the Lord. As to the Lord. Everything comes. For the father gets his authority from God. Abraham is taking his son to sacrifice him in Genesis 22. And it, it all... It's almost always an interesting thing. Have you, you looked in that text, and nowhere does Abraham consult with, with his wife. Because how, how could Abraham say to God, Sarah, honey, God has told me to sacrifice our only son whom we love. Can you imagine Sarah's response? Honey, have you lost your mind? God would never tell you to do that. Just think of, just think of the, the human connection there. And what does Abraham say? He got up early in the morning, and he takes his servant with him, and he takes his son, and he got to the bottom of the hill, and listen to what he says. You stay here with the animals. I and the son will go yonder to worship and return to you. You see how he saw his authority he got his authority from God to take his son. And he says, if God is leading me, and I'm convinced that God is the one directing me to sacrifice my son, I am going to worship God. My act of obedience come under his authority. And any act of obedience is an act of worship. So worship is the highest form of caring. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 17, it's a, a, an interesting verse of scripture. Just one verse. And it says this. Three times a year, all the males in the community must appear before God. Three times a year, all the males must appear before God. Why? Because the responsibility that the males will exercise as fathers and leaders in the community must Come from God. See, we're not given children to exercise 
brutality over them. We're given children to bring them up, to be tender. We're bringing up children who will be seeds of righteousness. And the only way they are going to be seeds of righteousness is if I plant righteous seeds in them. The authority. Genesis 18, listen to this. Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen Abraham in order that he may command his children after him to keep the way of the Lord. I have chosen Abraham in order that he might command his children to keep the commandments of the Lord. Not simply of Abraham. It is the Lord's commandment. You get the idea. To be a father is not simply to get someone pregnant. To be a father is to be given a responsibility of bringing up righteous seeds in the earth. So what are the three things that fathers are supposed to do when they appear before the Lord in this context? Three things, and I close with this. Fathers, the first thing we are called to do is to pray for our children. To pray for our children. Generally, Luke 18.1, men ought always to pray. Job 1.5, Job. <laughs> Job's children, he gave them everything that a father could give. But at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, Job was on his face before God on the behalf of his children. Fathers ought to be praying men if you have children. Not only because your children is going to bring you, might bring you difficulty, but my friends, they live in a world that's calling out to them, and your prayers might be the only thing between them and that call. Secondly, fathers are to be men of the book. The parents of Samson knew that God said that you do not marry an uncircumcised, that is a non-Christian person, because by doing so, they're going to corrupt you're, you're thinking about God. So use the scriptures, man. Know the scriptures so deeply that you're able to sit down in those moments. And by the way, may I say something here, fathers? Don't correct your children when the heat is on. Choose times when you're able to speak with them and talk with them and reason with them. Under the circumstances, sometimes you have to die first before that can happen. I'll explain that later on if you need to. But sometimes we get, we get the, the authority going when the child is rebelling against it, that's too late. What you want is to be able to choose times when you can go to them and say, you know, the scriptures is able to make you wise unto salvation and to prepare you for anything you're going to face in life. And I believe that God can help you to do this and so on and so on. Prayers. The scriptures. Thirdly, worship. Worship. Worship, if it is seen as the beginning the progression, and the ultimate of all things. If we train our children how to worship, that is, to see God as one who is to be feared and one who loves you. To be able to see God as one who is worthy of your adoration because he adores you. To be able to give to God the reign over your heart because if God doesn't reign over your heart, 
Someone else will. Someone else will. I close with this. Please forgive me for going so long today. I, I didn't intend to. But let me close with this story. One day, Greg took his four children, aged age 3 to 12, and a friend to see a recently um, acquired property in the highlands of North Carolina. They climbed up a waterfalls, and not knowing that there was no support under him, Greg took a fatal step too close to the edge and plummeted a quarter of a mile down to his death. How can one fully comprehend the immediate horror of something like this? We can only plead for the arms of God to hold the loved ones up through such heart-wrenching experience. But out of this grievous event, something extraordinary happened. Greg, Greg's young, young son, McKittrick, penned these incredible lines to a family friend. And this is what this boy wrote. My father loved you very much and was always trying to be like you. My father was like three men in the Bible who were given talents by Jesus. One went out and invested them, multiplied them. One took stocks and uh, failed and came back with nothing. The last one buried them and did nothing with, with them. All three returned in a day, in a few days later, and the Lord was pleased with two who tried to multiply them. But even though the one man had come back with the same amount, the Lord was disappointed because he didn't try. My father tried. My dad was a risk taker and was just that kind of a man. I'm going to jump over some stuff. No one will understand how or why my dad fell into that waterfall. Do you do, you, do, you, do yourself a favor and don't try to figure it out. My dad died for his children. He was making sure it was safe for us to come up. So he went ahead. You may hear different things, but only six saw and only three understood what really happened. I am one of those. My mom lost her treasure, her husband. Most other lost a friend, Greg. You lost a good friend. My grandparents, this boy is 12 years old. My grandparents lost a son. But it is different for me, totally different for me. He was my best friend and my idol. But when I got my last glimpse of him falling down the falls, I lost my prized man on earth. He was my father. He was my one and only dad. I had dreams three nights ago, but it wasn't a dream. My father is all right. He told me. He told me himself. Thank you for being a true friend. I love you a lot. Then at the end of the story, his letter, he wrote this. He said, His finest... He used to sign his name with his middle name. His middle name, McKittrick. But this time he signed his name, Greg, because he was my one and only dad. He knew that there were dangers ahead, so he walked 
and he fell to his death, but he died protecting his children. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, watch your attitude. Fathers, agonize for your children. Fathers, submit to the authority of God so that when that time comes, your children will say of you, Dad was my hero. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the time will not take away from your word this morning. I pray that the Spirit of God will drive home the truths of God. And that, Father, out of this word this morning, there will be change in attitudes of fathers, of parents, and that we will be able to say with the tenderness of an instructor from God who's being instructed, this is what God says. This is what God says. We, as your parents, are under his authority, and he has put you under ours. We want to make sure that our actions toward you are actions born from our obedience to him as we ask you for yours. In Jesus' name, amen.